Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back into Inside Sources today. Thank you for joining us. My name is Lindsay Ertz, filling in today as a guest host alongside the fabulous, the wonderful <laughs> Casey Scott. Hey, it's been kind of a heavy day. We're talking about postpartum depression. We're talking about national suicide awareness. But we do want to remind everybody that there's a number that you could call. It's 1-800-273-8255. And we are talking about these things because it is National Suicide Prevention Month. Tomorrow is actually a day recognizing World Suicide Prevention Day. And we think that these issues that you and I respectively have been through kind of lend itself to some of the things that can help in suicide prevention. My postpartum anxiety story and then your addiction yeah, story. To Casey, alcohol. Yeah, you have been very public with this. It's the only way I knew to do it. So today is actually one year in a week since the last time I had a drink of alcohol. I should have gotten a round of applause. Sound but no, no, but thank you very much. But, you know. A year ago, I was in a dark place, and I was actually up in uni in a detox center, and uh, I got in a wreck. I got a DUI, uh, and it was a horrible wreck, and ran into a, a family, and I could have very well been at the point of the mountain for the rest of my life. By the graces of God, um, I, I, I'm here today, and uh, when I got home from uh, the DUI, I... Uh, was sitting at home, and I knew something had to change. I knew my life had to change. I've been the CEO of this company for 45 years. The Casey Scott Company. And I wasn't running it very well. Right. And so I needed to do something. And so I actually called that hotline that we gave out a little bit earlier for the uni and said, I need to come up. I need to do something. Yeah, we are going to be talking to that uh, uni crisis line, workers from that, in just uh, a little bit. But Casey, walk me through the timeline of this. I mean, can you pinpoint... I mean, forgive me if this is an anger question, but when the addiction started, is it, does it, you know, I, I think if, then... if you think about it, and I had my dad on my podcast, and his dad was an alcoholic, although my dad's not an alcoholic, he's also celebrating one year and one week today because he quit the day I quit. Uh, it's probably always been kind of in, you know, in the pipes, but I started drinking at a very young age and, uh, you know, probably 14. Uh, here and there, and then it just kind of was a constant in all my life. And I, you know, a year ago, I could have told you that it didn't cause that many problems. I can tell you sober today, it caused a lot more problems than I'd like to admit. Well, some of those, frankly, we had to watch through yeah. the media, right? Because you worked for Channel 2 at the time, and mm-hmm. you were a very high-profile figure. Yep. And then when you sort of had these things happen to you, uh, it was, people saw that. It was a, At that point, it was a full-on addiction, and my life was spiraling out of control, and I knew I needed to do something. So, I mean, I can say that, uh, you know, it wasn't a traumatic experience. That, that led me down in addiction. It started out as fun and ended up not fun at all. And I think that's really important for people to know that it's not just a one-time event that can trigger you into addiction or, you know, those things that happen to you throughout your life may impact that. But like you said, it's kind of this sort of slow progression into alcoholism. And so when, when 
I'm sitting at home and I call the uni. I'm waiting there. I can't go in and see him until the morning. I'm sitting at my house and my family kicks open the door and they've all got letters in hand. They've all watched intervention. They're getting ready to do an intervention. And at that point, I said, I appreciate it. I know you're here out of love, but I've already called. I'm going in. And so they didn't read their letters. Group hug. Everybody's crying. And the next morning, my mom picks me up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm 44 years old. My mom's picking me up, driving me down to uni. I check in there for seven days. And, you know, they when you're detoxing from alcohol, it's one of the most uh, – horrific things to do and it's one of the most dangerous to do and were you having physical symptoms along with sort of the mental yeah and, and there's just a lot in it and it's better to do it in a safe place like uni or a certified detox center so that you know if anything should arise they can take care of you and be there a lot of people want to detox at home but i suggest if you have the opportunity to do it at a licensed facility so while i'm in there i'm taking the classes i attend my first aa meeting and uh, around Wednesday, they go, hey, would you like to talk to somebody? And I was like, yeah, I'll talk to anybody because at this point, you know, I'm making turkey hands, uh, doing arts and crafts and trying. I was like, let's talk to somebody. Right. So I talked to this lady from the Pinnacle Recovery Center, and she says, we've got this. Would you be interested in going? And at that point, I didn't, I didn't know I was going to enter a recovery center, a rehab. And I was like, yeah, let me, let me think about it. And so I had more I thought about it. And I was like, okay, let's do this. So I called my mom once again and said, hey, will you go look at this place? That sounds pretty nice, and they kind of have what I want. Some rehab centers focus on 12-step, some on meditation, mindfulness, and they're all different ones. And so I suggest if you're looking for a facility, don't pick one because you need one right then. You know, Try to find the best one that's going to fit with your personality and your goals and your mindset and what you want. And Pinnacle Recovery Center just had what I wanted, and so I went there. And spent 45 days there. And uh, it was a life-changing experience. Uh, I don't think at any any time as an adult does somebody go, here's 45 days to work on you. Right. And I was given that. That sounds amazing. You know, and talked to therapists, did group meetings, did yoga. We went to AA. We went to Narcotic Anonymous. We went to all these things. And I got to pick, pick what made sense to me. So I currently don't do a 12-step program. I do mindfulness. I meditate in the morning. Uh, exercise is really crucial to mine. And, and that's allowed me to have one year and one week of sobriety. That's amazing. And as you were in these recovery centers, specifically in Pinnacle, and as you went through uni, did you discover that underneath um, the alcohol there were emotions left unprocessed? Oh, yeah, 100%. Ones that I, I, I didn't even know. Right. And, and they say it's like a backpack. As you're going through life, you find something hard or something you, you don't like to talk about. You grab the stone and you put it in a backpack. And all of a sudden, you're 44 and your backpack's heavy. Sure. You're carrying around a lot of stuff. That's so a great analogy. Over those 45 days, I was allowed to unzip that backpack, pull out some of those rocks, examine them, and either let them go or address them. And that's what we did. And we talk about addiction being a disease, which it absolutely 100% I had no idea. I thought that's what we just told people. So how much of it is the chemical imbalance within your brain? Like you mentioned, the family history of alcoholism. It starts to rewire your brain. Yeah, versus the uh, unprocessing of emotion, which anyone can do right now by just feeling emotion. You know, I'm not a doctor, so I couldn't tell you. But I could say that it's, you know, for everybody, it's a little bit different. Some people are more acceptable to it. And some people can go through a whole life and not have it. So for me, it was probably 50-50. And, you know, being able to do that and realize and focus on me 
and figure out what I really want in life. That's what it's all about. We have like one minute left, but as you look back on this whole experience of uh, essentially hitting rock bottom and then coming back from addiction, what's your biggest takeaway? My, uh, my girlfriend and my parents and my daughter threw me a one-year sobriety birthday yesterday, and I'll just read you this letter, and this sums it up real am quick. I, am I going to cry? This is from my daughter, oh my, my oldest daughter. She's 14. Daddy, daddy-o. I'm so unbelievably proud of you, Dad. You have surprised me in so many ways. I've seen you grow in so many ways. Being around you is already so much more fun. I like being with you and talking more than we ever have. We went through a rough patch last year. Now I can tell we are getting closer and being together more. This has been such a good year for us, and I can't wait to have many, many more. I like not fighting with you. I love you to the moon and back, Daddy-O. You have impressed me in so many countless ways. Here's to when you're sober. I love you. P.S. I'm pretty sure Bowden is the pooper. <laughs> Someone's not flushing the toilet at the house. <laughs> but that right there sums it up that I'm on the right road and I'm moving forward and I want to scream from sh- up mountaintops that recovery is possible. Casey Scott, of course, that voice you're hearing. I'm going to dry my tears and we're going to take a break on KSL News Radio. When we come back, we're bringing in that expert that you mentioned, the executive director of the Pinnacle Recovery Center. Yep. And we can talk to her about uh, some of those questions I asked you. You know, how much is, is um, you know, the chemical piece versus the emotional piece and how does that all play together? So we'll do that when we come back on KSL News Radio. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another... Pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back in. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Lindsay Ertz, first reporter and anchor here at KSL News Radio. I also host The Mom Show, which airs Sundays at noon here on KSL News Radio. We talk, sorry, Sundays at 10 a.m. They changed the time, and I still haven't gotten that right. I wouldn't know. So I, I, you, you can just lie to me. Sundays at 10 a.m. Okay. Right here on KSL News Radio. That voice you're hearing, Casey Scott. Hi, Casey. Hey, the host of uh, Project Recovery, also done here at KSL. And a lot of people want to know why I started a podcast called Project Recovery. And basically it was once I was inside the walls of Pinnacle Recovery Center and surrounded by other addicts, I saw what the true face of addiction is. And I think a lot of times when you think of addiction, you think of, you know, a certain image pops into your face. But the reality is, is it's mothers, it's fathers, it's sons, it's professional businessmen. It's, you know, it's it, it, it sees no discrimination. Addiction has no discrimination. And so I was like, we need to have this conversation. Let's open it up. Because once the, the accident happened to me and I came forward with my problem, a lot of people came up to me and says, oh, yeah, we're here. And I was like, 
well, why weren't you there before? Why didn't we open the conversation before it got so ugly? And right. so that's what I wanted to do was start the conversation. So on your podcast, Project Recovery, which you can download on the KSL News Radio app, how do what do you interview former addicts or what experts? Well, so right now like? we're, we're tackling all things addiction, not only opioids, but alcohol. Um, we're talking about pornography. We're talking about social because I truly believe everybody is addicted to something. And to me, the simplest, you know, definition of addiction is giving something power over you that you can't control. And so we do that by sharing people's stories, having therapists come on and just talking about it. Because as we learned in the postpartum discussion, opening up and sharing the story lets everybody know that they're not alone. And you might find similarities in their story that connect with you that you can go, oh, okay. And then once you've got a pinpoint on what it is, now you've got something to go after and figure out how to handle this, manage this, or overcome it. Absolutely. Casey Scott, you were talking last uh, segment about your story of addiction and mm-hmm. how you hit rock bottom and recovered from that. You talked about being in uh, the Pinnacle Recovery Center, who we're going to talk to a, a social worker from there in just a second. But I want to know, what does sobriety look like for you now? Are you like, I cannot have a single drink. I can have a beer, but I'm okay. I can't even go into a bar. What, what does it look like and what's kind of common? Is it just different for everyone? Well, I, I, I DJ parties. I co- DJ corporate events. And so a lot of times they're at bars. Uh, at my sobriety birthday party, there was alcohol there. I remember right when I got out, my mom says, hey, we won't have alcohol at the family parties. And I didn't want to be treated like that. I didn't want to be treated with kid gloves. I didn't want to sit at the kid table. And I didn't want people to make decisions around me. I, because if the only reason I'm not drinking is because there's not alcohol around me, then I haven't figured out the problem. That's a very good point. So yeah. the future looks like me. Uh, I, I never thought I'd get to a year. So I'm here at a year. So now I'm reevaluating and doing it. I remember right when I got out of recovery, my mom goes, we'll never have to have this problem again. And I go, I don't know. Yeah. And she's like, well, how do you, what do you mean you don't know? And I said, because I don't know the future. I know right now, and that's what I'm in control of. So I know for the next 24 hours that I'm not going to. I, I, I can't give you an answer to make you feel at peace with it. Right now, I know I'm not drinking. I don't have any plans to drink, but that's processes in my brain and makes it more palatable for me to. It's so interesting how, how different it is for everyone. Let's bring in Emily Capito. She is a licensed clinical social worker at the Pinnacle Recovery Center in Holiday. Hi, Emily. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be on. Okay. Thank you so much. Let's start here, Emily. Uh, I don't know if you saw Casey specifically. No. Uh, okay. So you're just a therapist there at, at the center. So, Emily, yes. what are some of the warning signs that uh, we might look for if somebody is suffering uh, from addiction? I think, you know, we could put a broad heading of any drastic changes, and we're looking at changes in behavior, changes in personality, um, significant changes in sleep patterns, uh, a significant appetite or weight changes. Someone might drop a lot of weight on certain substances or gain a lot of weight on others, you know, failing to take care of personal hygiene, isolating and being more secretive from family and friends no longer participating in activities that they once enjoyed, um, falling asleep in the middle of regular activities. Um, it's what we refer to as like nodding off, which would point to opiate abuse. Um, and then some of like the telltale signs like bloodshot eyes, dilated pupils, which points more towards alcohol in certain substances, or pinpoint pupils, which can also point to opiate abuse. Um, so watching for any of those major changes in behavior or personality are pretty good indicators. 
Emily Caputo with the uh, sorry Caputo with the uh, Pinnacle Recovery Center. Emily, uh, this is a question I sort of posed to Casey earlier, and he just had his own personal answer to it. But I kind of want to know from your perspective when we talk about addiction, you know, often we we uh, kind of stigmatize it, right? With like, just get over it, right? Or just stop drinking, right? How hard is it? Like, just stop drinking. There's a real chemical piece, and we know that addiction is an illness. How much is how much is chemical? And I, I did ask Casey this earlier. How much is emotions unprocessed underneath what what you're trying to numb emotions with? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a great question. And it, of course, varies by individual. But I think the vast majority of the time we turn to self-medication. And as Casey pointed out, we all have different forms of self-medication, whether it's binge watching Netflix or eating, you know, six pints of Ben and Jerry's or turning to heroin or alcohol um, or other substances. And whenever we are giving away our freedom in those moments and allowing a substance to take control, we are, you know, reinforcing pathways in the brain that lead to requiring that in order to feel okay in the world. And that's what where we start to lead into chemical dependency or addiction to certain behaviors in order to cope with life. Do the the risks risk factors that you were talking about earlier and the and the symptoms that you might see if someone is struggling with addiction, does it matter what substance or what thing they're addicted to, you know, alcohol, opioids, pornography, or just social media, for example, uh, does it matter what they're what a person is addicted to, or do the signs and symptoms kind of uh, all mimic each other? It's a great question. It definitely varies significantly. You know, if someone is abusing meth, you're going to see a very different behavioral response compared to someone who's abusing opiates. Um, you know, some substances are uppers and are going to create some what we look for as like mania or manic episodes where there's a lot of energy and not sleeping for days at a time um, versus like an opiate addict is going to be falling asleep in the middle of the day because that's a downer. Um, and behaviorally, you know, it's any time you see those drastic changes in behavior that don't really add up to the person you once knew um, is, is going to be an indicator. And then we can kind of tease apart the others. You know, you don't need to do it on your own. I guess it's a bigger message. There are so many people in the community willing to have these conversations so that you aren't trying to play detective all by yourself and learning everything off of WebMD. Um, you can always call any treatment center. Um, Pinnacle Recovery, for example, it, we're available 24-7 to take those calls and help you walk through the weeds. You know, I think that's what's important is to know that there is help out there. And the other thing to take away is hope. Hope is very powerful. And if you've got hope, you've got a chance. And I think with a chance, you can start to form your opinions on where you want to go and what you want to do with your life. And recovery is possible. Absolutely. Emily, really quickly, we have like 30 seconds, but this may be a loaded question you can't answer in 30 seconds. But how do we need to change both as a culture and a society and then as um, individually with people that we know in our personal lives about how we handle addiction? Oh, that's a, a big question for sure. I think we it always starts with empathy, realizing that even if you haven't personally struggled with addiction, you probably know a lot more people than you realize who have. And the more we have these conversations, such as the ones that Casey's starting with the podcast and what we're doing right now, the more we can connect and help one another through these situations, because it is terribly common, unfortunately. Hey, Emily, one last thing. If you guys need a pitcher for sober softball, give me a call. <laughs> 
fantastic. Sober softball, this is a thing? It's a thing, and it is fun. Oh, fun. Awesome. Thanks, Emily. Emily Capito, a licensed clinical social worker with Pinnacle Recovery Center in Holiday. We'll be right back. Uh, we'll talk more here on KSL News Radio. Lindsay Ertz and Casey Scott filling in on Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back into Inside Sources today. Lindsay Ertz, your guest host today, along with Casey Scott. Hi, Casey. Hey, how are you? I'm so good. Now, we've been talking about a, a lot of heavy topics today, but that's okay because our main point is we need to be talking about these things. And it is suicide, National Suicide Prevention Month. And so we want to make sure that everyone has the resources out there that they need. And you and I have both shared our stories with individual, uh, both addiction and postpartum uh, anxiety and OCD issues, which uh, we think are sort of part of the bigger problem we need to talk about as far as like suicide. I 100 percent agree. Yeah. And, And what we've also discovered is that by talking about it, it helps us process our own journey. And, and this is a way to keep me moving in the right direction. And, and I think that's if we can do anything today is hopefully start a conversation in someone's home or show a little empathy can go a long way. And that there also is hope in recovery for addiction and for postpartum depression as well. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about your, your addiction story, you talked about how when you hit rock bottom, you called a phone number that sent you to a lifeline essentially, that that got you started in the right direction. What yeah. was that number and who did you call? It was the Uni Hotline, and uh, that's up at the University of Utah. The number is 801-587-3000. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I knew what not to do, and that was nothing. So I had to do something. So I called, you know, 801-587-3000 and talked to them. And so you just Googled that number? Did you know what uni was? I knew from working here at KSL. Right. And, and I knew that was a great place and a great resource to go uh, to get questions answered. And so I thought, heck, let's give it a shot. Yeah. Okay, so on the line we have Barry Rose. He's the clinical manager for the Uni Crisis Hotline. Barry, thank you for joining us today. Oh, Great. Thanks for having me. Okay. So is is Casey's story kind of how this, this lifeline works? I mean, is this why this number exists? Absolutely. Absolutely. We take over uh, 8,000 phone calls a month from people in crisis or just needing information, support, emotional support, or anything anyone needs. We're, we welcome those phone calls and we can connect people to all our services and uh, provide what they need, hopefully. And you guys are open 24-7, 365, and people Absolutely. can call. And you've even got a mobile crisis team. Is that correct? Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, we do. In Salt Lake County, um, we have mobile teams on duty 24 hours a day, and they go out into the community um, three, 400 times a month and see people in crisis wherever they are if uh, – we go to a lot of family homes and, and very discreetly, and people go in their own cars. It's a licensed clinician and a certified peer specialist as our team, and um, they can go out and just help and help talk to a family member who's in crisis or if somebody's feeling suicidal or just upset about something. We're happy to come out and provide kind of the support and resources and uh, follow-up services, advocacy, those types of things. 
Uh, Barry Rose, the clinical manager for the Uni Crisis Hotline. That number again, Casey, you have that? I do. It is, uh, hold on, let me pull it back up. It's 801-587-3000. Now, Barry, let me ask you a question. Is there any dumb question? <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We we love to talk to people uh, about anything that they might, and we really want and appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to people in our community and let them know that we are there for them and make sure people understand that there is hope, there there is help out there for people. Um, we have um, every resource in our county and then around the state. We're also the statewide crisis line, so anyone that calls the national lifeline number, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number, gets our call center here as well. And we so we talk to people all over the state and provide um, uh, crisis intervention, suicide prevention, mobile outreach, those types of things. And that's the number we've been giving out all show today. That's 1-800-273-8255. And Barry, one of the, the barriers, I think, to people reaching out and getting help is they don't know who's going to pick up the phone on the other end. And so part of their problem might be, oh, I don't want to tell this stranger my problems. They don't know me. They don't know what's going on for me. How are they even going to help me? What would you say to that? Well, first of all, um, we have a kind of a really supportive, unique um, situation here in Utah where our call center are all licensed professionals. Now, around the country, often hotlines are run by volunteers, um, but we are all, all our staff are trained professionals and do this for a living, and they have a lot of experience, and, and we do this because we want to help people, and um, anyone that calls us, we want to provide whatever it is that they need and we really do care about them and really want to make sure that they get the proper support and help that they need. And from your work there right on the front lines of answering these crisis hotline phone calls, what do you think, Barry, are some of the barriers to people reaching out to you? Well, a lot of times they don't really understand what we do and that it's okay to call for anything. Um, oftentimes people, um, um, they don't know if there's a cost to the things that we provide, like our mobile outreach and those kind of things are all, they're all free. Yeah. It's sort of like when you call an ambulance, then you get a bill for the ambulance and you're like, true. oh, I that guess I, true. yeah. Um, but so if we can come out on our mobile teams, for example, or just talk to somebody and help provide them the correct resources and prevent them from having to to call 911 or go to an emergency room. So your mobile um, outreach is really free. Cool. Say again? Your mobile outreach crisis uh, people are free? Absolutely. Yes. Hey, Barry, let me ask you this. Uh, because you said a lot of times you have people standing by to pick up the phone. Someone might not want to use the phone, but maybe a text. Do you guys have that as available as well? We do through our uh, Safety mobile app. So anybody that um, hopefully have heard of the Safety app, um, if not, you can and look it up in uh, the Android store or um, uh, Apple and download it. it. It doesn't cost anything. And uh, with the mobile app, you can just push a button, and um, you can be talking immediately 24-7 to a licensed clinician via texting. And so we get thousands of, of tips and texts um, uh, each month as well from people who are not maybe not quite as comfortable just calling and talking to somebody they don't know, and particularly young people. Yeah, it's been a game changer in the schools. 
I know that yep. for a fact. I, parents, if you're listening, go home and look at your kid's phone. And if they don't have the SafeUT app on their phone, download it. Well, Barry, yeah, I was going to ask you, too, um, have you seen the success of the SafeUT app? And, and what sort of numbers do you have if you have those? Well, just I don't have any uh, actual uh, numbers right in front of me, but I can tell you on average, the last month of the school year uh, last year, um, we were averaging over 3,500 tips and chats that month, and um, we're uh, on pace this year to, to far surpass that. We've been growing uh, double-digit um, percentages each year since we started the SafeUT app. We've just seen incredible success with it, uh, with the support of all the schools and, uh, and our legislature to, for funding that. It's been an amazing, amazing project, an amazing service. Awesome. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time and talk with us today. Uh, if you could leave us with one parting thought, what would that be? Just that um, there is hope. There is hope and there is help for people. So if you're feeling uh, suicidal, if you're just upset about something, you're, you've had a loss, you're you're needing support, you, you need someone to talk to and just get some balance or just get some some uh, support, uh, we are there for you. And there is help out there. There is a lot of resources for people. Don't feel like you're alone. Please reach out to us. That's Barry Rose, the clinical manager for the Uni Crisis Hotline. Uh, that number one more time, Casey? 801-587-3000. That's 801-587-3000. And, you know, I think if one word had been constant throughout this whole broadcast today, it's hope. I thought the same exact thing. You know, hope, hope. in recovery from my addiction, hope in your postpartum depression, hope in suicidal thoughts. It's one constant, and the power of hope is so great. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us, uh, Barry and... Uh, of course, Casey Scott, that voice you're hearing. I'm Lindsay Ertz, filling in today on Inside Sources. We'll be right back on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.